and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned of the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And so, as was told, I'm, my home church is Calvary Severance, um, and I've been going there for a couple years. I've been part of the preaching cohort there for a little over a year now. Um, and so when Josh asked me, he's like, hey, Derby Hill has a need. Can you, can you take care of that for me? And I was like, absolutely. Um, and as I understand, you guys have been working your way through the book of John. And I was talking to Dave, and he's like, you know, we're going to get ready to start some Advent stuff. Let's just do a standalone. <clears throat> and so today, we're doing that. We're kind of taking a slight turn, and we're heading to the establishment of God's church in Acts. So as we're doing that, what I want to do is I kind of want to just do a brief synopsis of where we are in Acts to this point. <clears throat> in Acts 1 and 2, we see the establishment of the church with the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And then in chapters 3 through 7, we see the church growing through testing, God working through Peter, and John healing the lame. The apostles being arrested and freed in Acts 5, and finally with the speech and stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. And then in Acts 8 and 9, we see the church scattered by Saul, and then we see Philip proclaiming Christ in Samaria, and then the conversion of Saul. And in chapters 10 through 12, we see the church embracing Gentiles through Peter's vision of the sheet, with the animals he calls unclean, but God does not call unclean. And then the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles just as he did the Jews. And then we see James killed and Peter imprisoned in chapter 12. Now we're at the point where the church extends overseas, first in Cyprus in chapter 13 and in Lystra in chapter 14. And then in chapter 15, we see Paul and Barnabas separate and go different ways. Chapter 16 is the call to Macedonia. We see the conversion of Lydia, as well as the jailer. And now we find Paul in Thessalonica here in chapter 17. So I want to introduce the three main points that I want you guys to take away this morning, or as I'm calling it, it's the gospel game plan. The first will be share the gospel. The second will be show the gospel. And third is, trust God with the results. Share the gospel, show the gospel, and trust God with the results. In his book, Ten Who Changed the World, Dr. Daniel Aiken highlights the lives and work of 10 missionaries who poured out their hearts to join God and his mission around the world. They were men and women who were making sacrifices to see all the nations reached for Christ. He highlights the life of Lottie Moon, who was a bold woman of God who served as a missionary in China for 40 years. Her significance and legacy and contribution to missions is highlighted every year by the SBC through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. He also highlights Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador, and while he was serving there, he was actually martyred there for his work for the gospel. And Jim Elliott gave us a quote about his own life, that's really echoed throughout the history of the church. 
when he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These, among others, were some that Dr. Aiken say were 10 who literally changed the course of human history. The world was impacted because these people were a part of it. And I don't know about you guys, but I read stories like this and it inspires me. You read a book that you're reading about how faithful these people were to make a difference for Jesus. And it makes me want to shut that book, sell all my stuff, and move across the world to make a difference for Jesus. But church, here's the reality. This isn't an option for all of us. We don't have to be foreign missionaries to make a difference for Jesus. We don't have to move across the world to make an impact for Jesus. Global missionaries aren't the only ones who can change the world for Christ. The world can be changed for Christ by stay-at-home moms. The world can be changed for Christ by students. It can be changed for Christ by nurses and realtors and engineers and even plumbers. And if you don't know me, but I am an electrician by trade, so if you're an electrician, you understand that joke. <laughs> because really, making a difference for Christ in the world is not about where you live, but it's how you live where you live. It's not about where you live. It's about how you live where you live. Right? That we would go into our everyday lives with the mindset of a missionary. Right where we are. And in Acts 17, we are going to get a blueprint for what that looks like to be an everyday missionary. Right from the lives of Paul and Silas. We get a blueprint of how to make an impact for Jesus in the world. We see in the text that these were men that turned the world upside down. Hopefully this morning, our desire is to make Jesus not ignorable, not just in Loveland, but to the ends of the earth. And sadly enough, there are Christians that can live their entire lives, live amongst lost people all their lives, and never really make an impact. The Bible shows us that Jesus' heart was for lost people, and it should be our heart as well. Look what Matthew wrote in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 of the mount on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's the will of the Father that not one of those lost sheep should perish. Therefore, that should be our hearts as well. And there are many Christians today that could pack all their things and move to a different country, and not many would know that they left. And even fewer would know that there was a presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ that had left. I pray that that cannot be said about this church. We can't go through this life and not have an impact for Jesus. We must have an impact for Jesus. The way we're going to make Jesus non-ignorable is to live your everyday life with the mindset of a missionary. And we've got the blueprint right here in Acts 17. And during the opening, I said there were three main points I hoped you could take from today. And the first was share the gospel. So as we've been working our way through Acts, when I was working my way through Acts, during this point, they're on their second missionary journey. And they were called by God to Macedonia. And they were obedient to God's call in their lives. 
and they found themselves doing work in a city called Philippi. And while they're in Philippi, they're ministering the gospel, and God begins to move and opens the heart of a woman named Lydia. She becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, and the scriptures tell us in Acts 16, 15, that her household became believers as well. And they continue to, to minister in Philippi, where we see Paul, through the name of Jesus Christ, free the slave girl, and eventually find themselves in prison. And this is where God performs a really big miracle, and that he frees the prisoners. And that eventually leads to a guard being saved, and now a church is born. And as they continue to travel down through Macedonia, they find themselves here in Acts 17. And let's look again at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Thessalonica was a major port city on the coast of Macedonia. It was a trade city, and it was actually the capital city of Macedonia. And these men come here to preach the gospel and make disciples and to see churches started. And what I love about their passion for the mission is that they continue to persist to make the name of Jesus Christ in every city known, even though they're faced over and over and over again by opposition. And as we saw in Acts 16, there were some fruitful times in Macedonia, but it wasn't easy, right? It was fruitful, but it wasn't easy. They were opposed to the things that they were preaching, yet they continued to be obedient. They were motivated for the glory of God for the worship of our king to be spread to all the nations. So I was, as I was studying this passage, the thing that kept coming to mind was to help us to see and understand that nothing about our blueprint matters if we are not motivated by the glory of God in all places. If our hearts aren't burning to see Jesus worshipped in all the nations, then missional living is about our own glory and not his. So we see these men, they go to Thessalonica and they begin to share the gospel. And look in verse 2 and 3. And when Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. You see, what we see here is, is Paul had a rhythm and a pattern of how he did ministry. In every city he went, he went straight to the synagogue, and he knew that he would find Jews gathered there and that he could preach to them first because they would have a knowledge of the law and he could reason with them from there. And then he would make his way out to the Gentiles. And this was his pattern. This is what he did. We see Paul say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so that was his custom, and you see it all throughout Acts. You see it in Acts 13 at Antioch, in Acts 14 at Iconium. This is what Paul did. This was his game plan. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, for those that want to make a difference for Jesus in the world, what is your custom for evangelism? Do you have a plan of getting in people's lives, building relationships, and sharing Jesus? So, show of hands here. How many of you have had someone come up to you and say, you know what, I believe I'm a wretched and depraved sinner. Would you please tell me about the things of God and the holiness and the death of Jesus and my need for repentance? Nobody. 
See, I haven't either. If we're going to share the gospel, we have to be the ones who have to be intentional. We have to be the ones who have a plan. So my family and some friends, we have a, a big vacation coming up next year, and I found myself really digging it, like really trying to plan what this is going to look like. And it's amazing to me how particular we'll be about things like this. Where are we going to get food on what day? What activities at what time? The most important question, where am I going to get coffee every morning? <laughs> and here's the thing, church. If we're that intentional about our vacation, why would we shoot from the hip about the message of Jesus Christ? Look what the scriptures say. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why wouldn't we have a custom and a plan? I mean, if you know who has a plan, the enemy has a plan, right? The Jehovah Witnesses have a plan. The Mormons have a plan. They're deceived, but they have a plan. Christian, what is your plan for sharing the gospel? You see, we, Paul had a custom, and we would be wise to have customs as well. So we see in the text that it says that Paul reasoned with them for three Sabbath days. And this word reasoned would suggest that there was a dialogue, right? When Paul got up to preach, it wasn't just a lecture. It was a back and forth where he was having a conversation about the things of Jesus. And when we share the gospel with people, we, when we have gospel encounters with people, evangelism is about conversation and not presentation. People don't come to faith by us just spewing everything we know about Jesus. They have to be able to wrestle with the things that we are talking about. They have to be able to ask questions, and they have to be able to have their assumptions jolted through dialogue. So we see that Paul has this reasoning, and it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And remember that Paul is, is speaking to a Jewish audience. He's speaking to people who could not fathom the idea of a Messiah who would die. In their mind, the Messiah would come to be the deliverer. He would be a conqueror. He would take them out of their oppression and reign forever. And Paul takes this book, which is what we call the Old Testament, and he begins to connect the dots for them, all the way through Moses, through the law, through the prophets, and through the Psalms. And he says that Messiah, yes, he will be your deliverer, but that deliverance would come through him dying. And he did that from the scriptures. So Paul probably would have turned to a passage like Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5 that reads, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And it continues in verse 8 through 10. By oppression, oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. 
the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Church, when we're sharing the gospel, we have to be able to take the book and talk to people about how necessary it is that Jesus died for their sin. Through conversation, people have to be able to come to grips with the foulness of their sin. We are so wretched that we cannot fix ourselves, that we cannot work our way to God. There are not enough good deeds or religious actions that we can perform to provide our forgiveness. Somebody had to die. And somebody had to rise, and that person was Jesus Christ. How many of us are equipped to do that this morning? How many of us here today have a plan to take the book and build a relationship with someone you don't know, start a friendship with them, and have a conversation with them about how much we need Jesus? Do you consistently approach your day with a biblical mindset? The scriptures tell us that we are to do so. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need to approach our days with a mind that is on the things of above. We must pray that God align our hearts with his, but that we also must act with that heart. It does the kingdom of God no good for us simply to sit tight. Listen, you don't have to have an MDiv. You don't have to have a degree to talk to people about Jesus. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you have to have a degree to talk about Jesus. You just have to go where you go every single day on purpose. Are we equipped to do this? What does it look like? So to me, it looks like wherever it is that you go, wherever it is that you frequent, you build relationships with people there. And that looks different for all of us, right? But you build a relationship with people, and then you have a set of three or four questions that you can ask, backed by answers that you have prepared based on your study of the scriptures. And that's the thing, church. We can't make Jesus non-ignorable unless we know him. And the way we know him is through prayer and the study of his word. So there's a couple that are in my life group. Um, And one of the things, one of the questions that they ask consistently is very simply, where do you go to church? They meet somebody and they said, where do you go to church? And it's a very simple question, but you can take that question and you can expand it to the gospel. Now, one question can spur a conversation about the depravity of man and our need for a savior and ultimately the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We must be prepared. 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If we're going to make a difference for Jesus, we have to share the gospel. That's number one. Number two is, we must show the gospel. Look at verse four. 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Some of them received, not just because of the message, but because of the way these guys lived. Look at 5 and 6. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. Church, what a description of the messengers of Jesus. These people who literally turned the world as they knew it on its head because of how they lived. They didn't live like the others. They didn't think like the others. They didn't do anything like the others did. They were different. These men didn't just proclaim the gospel. They lived the gospel. They drew a line in the proverbial sand of culture with their life, and they said, hey, we are from a different kingdom. And it was noticeable from the people who watched them live. This is how it should look for us. People should know that we are not prisoners of this world based on how we live. Look what the scriptures tell us about this. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christian, we are called to live differently than the rest of the world. We are to show the work of Jesus Christ in all aspects of our lives, including the ones that are outside of this church. People should know you are different based on how you live your life. Let that sink in. If you left, would your community feel it? Look what they're accused of next in verse 7. And I, and I love this. Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So these men were noticeably aligned with Jesus, noticeably pledging their allegiance to Jesus even over government. Is that a message that our culture needs to hear today? Where there is so much uproar and anger and hatred and division concerning American politics, do Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, need to hear that our king is Jesus? Not the president, not the senate, doesn't matter who you voted for. Now please don't misunderstand me here. What I'm not saying is that you should not seek God's will in politics but rather that you do not let your political will influence your thoughts about God. Christians, your primary allegiance isn't to a donkey or an elephant. It's to a lamb, the lamb of God. Now, this might ruffle a few feathers here this morning, but that's okay because we need to hear it. Many of us have married our politics with our faith, and it's stripped us of impact on the culture. You may not believe that, and you may not like that, but it's true. These men were not Jerusalem first. They were not Rome first. They were Jesus first, which made them people, and it was noticeable in the culture. So here's what this looks like. We go to work, and we go on, get on social media, and we just start bashing people and being mean and malicious to people 
because they vote differently than us. And then our next post is about how great the church service was today. That confuses people. Everybody good still? You may not have me back again, I don't know. Scripture says these men turned the world upside down because of the way they lived. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's shown in the way that we live the gospel. Look at this in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If we want to make Jesus non-ignorable, we've got to live differently than the world. We've got to live and show the gospel with our lives. So in a culture where there is so much division over politics, when you choose to love people who vote differently than you, people see that and they notice something about Jesus. Young people, those of you who are still single, when the world has lost its mind about sexuality and you say, my body has been bought for a price, my body is not my own, I'm going to honor, it, honor God with that, people see that and they notice something about Jesus. When a family member or coworker deliberately wrongs you and you respond with grace and mercy and compassion, people see that and they notice something about Jesus. When we meet Jesus, when our life gets flipped and turned upside down, and if we live like we know him, it will make an impact on people around us. We have to share the gospel. We have to show the gospel with our lives. And here is the third thing. We have to be able to trust God with results. Notice in verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. And when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So as we've seen in Thessalonica, there weren't all of these great, warm, and fuzzy receptions. There was a hostile riot that came from the way that they lived and the way that they preached. <clears throat> they ran these men out of town, ran them out of Thessalonica, and they find themselves escaping in the middle of the night, and they end up in Berea. And Berea was a much smaller town, a more obscure city, but notice that it says that they got right back to their plant. <clears throat> they go into the synagogue and begin to preach. And notice the results in verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These are the, the results that we desire when we share the gospel, right? When we show the gospel. We desire for people to receive it, right? Scripture says that, we were, that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, not because they were cut from a different cloth or not because they grew up in a different neighborhood, but because they had a spirit-empowered hunger for the things they were talking about. Those are results that God produces in a person's heart, a desire to lean in and receive the things that we are saying. It says about them that with all eagerness, they receive the word. In a heart where the gospel is becoming good news, when Jesus is a good aroma, there's a supernatural desire to receive the word of God even when it punches us in the gut. 
That's how we know that the results of the gospel are producing faith and repentance. When we are eagerly come to the word and we say, Jesus, whatever you show me in this book about your design, I want that. Is that the result that the gospel is producing in your heart this morning? Sometimes the word comes to us and it cuts us, right? Sometimes the word comes to us and it turns our world upside down. But where the faith in the gospel is really starting to be produced in a person's heart is when they say, Jesus, I want that. I may not know how to get there. I may have to sacrifice something and lose something that is dear to me to get there. But I want that. The other thing that it says is that they search the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The way that we know how God is trying to turn our world upside down and how God is trying to change the direction of our lives is that we have to get into his book. We have to search it out for ourselves. We've got to dive into it ourselves. We have to mine it for ourselves. Because as we read the book, the book begins to read us and we figure out how God is trying to move in our hearts and lives. These Bereans were not okay with coming to the synagogue once a week and hearing Paul's insights on his quiet time. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us come to church once a week, and that's the only time that we hear from the Lord, the preaching moment. And I'm not saying don't listen to the preaching, but what I am saying is don't just listen to the preaching. Where are the Bereans? Be a Berean. We have to have a habit of getting into this book and measuring out the things we are saying and figure out what scriptures are telling us. There are so many people whose lives are falling apart. They're in shambles, and you ask them, hey, what are you reading in the scriptures? What is God doing in your life? And they have no answer. Church, let us not say that God is silent when our Bibles are closed. So it says they search the scriptures. They eagerly receive the word of God, and look where it leads them in verse 12. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. It leads to faith. Now, obviously, there are two very different results that happened in the lives of these missionaries in our chunk of scripture. They followed the blueprint in every city. They went and they shared the gospel. They showed the gospel with their lives with varying results. And here's the thing that we have to understand. Every one of us wants to make a difference for Jesus in our everyday lives. We can share the gospel. We can show the gospel. We've got to leave the results to God. We do not have the ability. We do not have the power of life and death. We cannot change somebody's heart and mind and cause them to receive the things that we are talking about. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And then he asks a very important question. He says, who is sufficient for these things? So we come up here, we preach our guts out. And who is sufficient to change somebody's heart and mind? It's nobody but the Holy Spirit. 
Sometimes we will preach the gospel and people will hear it from us. And sometimes we will show the gospel with our lives and it will be a stench in someone's nostrils. And that's okay. You and I, we've got to get more comfortable with offending people. The gospel is offensive. Not only are we saying you are a sinner, but we're also saying that you're not good enough to fix yourself. You have to turn to a savior and the fact that you think that you can fix yourself is actually an expression of your own selfishness. That's offensive to human pride. But guys, as long as it's our message that offends and not our personality that offends, we honor Christ. So some people stumble over it, but listen, some people are going to be drawn to it like the Bereans were. To some people, it's going to be like a summer mosquito on your skin. It's going to be the greatest news that they've ever heard in their lives. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be forgiven. Because of how he's loved us, we can rest in his grace. To some people, that's good news. And all we have to do is not worry about how they respond, but lift up Jesus. If we'll share the gospel, if we'll show the gospel with our lives, we can make an impact for Jesus. We will make an impact for Jesus, and it said what I've done a little research on. So if you notice, the sun has polarizing effects, right? Sun goes up, and its rays beam down. And when those rays hit clay, the clay hardens. But the same sun can be in the same sky putting out the same rays, and when it hits ice, the ice melts. And this is an analogy that theologians used to describe people's varying results and varying responses to the gospel. And here's the thing about the sun. The sun doesn't need the help of the elements to do its thing. All we are responsible for is to lift up Jesus. Lift up the sun, the S-O-N, the son of God. If we'll just lift him up, the scriptures say that he will draw all people unto himself. And if you're here today and God is softening your heart for Jesus, please come talk to me. Would love to have that conversation uh, with you today. And maybe you're here today and God has used this to open your eyes. Do not walk out of here ignoring it. If we will just lift him up, if we will just allow people to see that Jesus is fully God and that he came down as fully man so that we could be made right with God, if we'll allow people to see his grace and his goodness, that he is a hope for our problems in life, that he is a peace for our trials and a light in our darkness. If we'll just lift him up, he'll draw people unto himself. If we want to make Jesus non-ignorable, we don't have to pack up and move across the world. And if God is calling you to do that, be obedient. But we don't have to. If we will just go into our everyday lives and share the gospel with a plan, show the gospel with our obedience to scripture, and trust God with the results, he will make an impact on the people around you. And my prayer is for you to be used like that, to bring him glory in all the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, you've, you've given us a book, and we would be wise to know it. We would be wise to dive into that word, God, to know you fully. Um, Lord, your glory is good for us. 
Lord, I pray that we understand that. I pray that you reveal that to our hearts, God. That if we lift up the sun, your glory will be spread. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that you loved us enough to give your son who you knew would perish, who would die on the cross, be buried and resurrected so that we could be made right with you, God. Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that we are Bereans. I pray that we search the scriptures daily, God, to find the answers that you are trying to give us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.